Blog Talk Radio. You know I can be found. Sit home all alone. If you can't come around, at least please tell the phone. Don't be cruel. Too hard, it's true. Baby, if I made a man. Something I might have said Please don't forget my past The future looks bright ahead Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no other love Baby, it's just you I'm picking up Don't stop thinking of me Don't make me feel this way Come on over here and love me You know what I want you to say Don't be cruel Too hard is true Why should we be apart? I really love you, baby Cross my heart Let's walk up to the preacher And let's say hi to you Then you'll know you'll have me And I know I'll have you Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no other love Baby, it's just you I'm picking up Don't be cruel To who heart is true Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is the beginning of a new week here at Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and I told y'all this week is this is the last week of the month, and it is so filled with amazing people. And before we get started, yeah, I played that song for a reason. We'll get into that in a little while. Y'all know I do crazy things because I'm totally insane, but that's okay. Keeps me from going crazy. But I want to thank each and every one of you because this is not my show anymore. It hadn't been since the first couple of weeks. This is your show. It's you the listener, you the guest. It is your show. You are the reason this show is heard in over 200 countries with 200,000 plus listeners with all the podcasts this thing goes up on after we go into archives. And I am so, so, so grateful I know y'all get tired of hearing it, but I am grateful. I'm extremely grateful for each and every one of you. There's two ways you can get on this show. Y'all know that I talk to anybody. I've talked to financial planners. I've talked to musicians. I've talked to artists. I've talked to uh, authors. I've talked to people with causes, with passions. I've talked politics. I've talked religion. Because that's why we call it off the chain. Now, there's two ways you can get on this show. One is come on as a guest, but it will be next year before I can get you on because we're booked that far ahead. Thank you, God, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I I am so grateful that this show is so successful that people don't mind waiting to come on this show. It, it says a lot for you, the listener, and for my guests. They're absolutely marvelous. Two, you can become a sponsor for this show, and I'm not in it to get rich. I don't want to get rich. I want to give you the availability of getting exposure in over 200 countries. 
Contact me at Off the Chain Radio, and I will tell you how. You can either send your ad in as an MP3 format or send it in in, in written form, and I'll read it, and I'll send you an invoice through PayPal for 10 bucks for 30 days. Yes, 10 bucks, ladies and gentlemen. That is like one-hundredth of what it normally costs, and it's because I want to pay it forward. And with that being said, I want to welcome two new sponsors to the show tonight, author Howard Levine. He wrote a book called Last Gasp. Frank Tedeschi's niece is dead, one of thousands of victims of a terrorist attack which has been laid at the feet of Islamic radicals by a right-wing U.S. government. Frank, based on a chance encounter, is one of the very few people who question the government's explanation. He's a Vietnam veteran and wants nothing more than to live without further controversy or conflict. Can he and his grieving brother, Rob, a detective with the NYPD, obtain the necessary evidence to uncover the truth in the face of scorn and incredibility? I can't talk tonight. Can they overcome their long-term estrangement to work work together, given that they are putting their lives in danger? Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. This book, I haven't read it yet. I just got the ad today. I'm going to get it because it just sounds wonderful. It's called Last Gas. By Howard Levine. It is available on Amazon. Howard is coming on the show after the first of the year, and we will definitely talk about this book even more. Now, Amy Lyle, she's been on this show. This is one funny woman. She's a comedian and actor, and she lives in Atlanta, and she has a unique outlook on life. Most people hide their failures, but Amy wrote an entire book about hers. It's called The Book of Failures. The book opens with, I have been married for 20 years, not to the same people, but 20 years nonetheless. The book talks about relationships, how hard it is to blend a family, and just funny failures of everyday life. The reason it's been a bestseller for over a year is that it is so relatable. Everybody needs more laughter in their lives. Buy it for yourself or for a friend that it, or even an enemy that is going through a hard time. The Book of Failures is available at Barnes & Noble on Amazon as a paperback, ebook, or an audio book. The Book of Failures by Amy Law. Get it today on Amazon. Australia, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all are our biggest listening base, and y'all put this next author on your number one bestseller list. Diane Moat. She has a series of books called the Sam Holden Series, and she is back. She is our favorite vigilante, and in the third book of the series, Dog Bones, Sam's quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other side. Will Sam's double life be exposed? Will Sam be able to protect the animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Mote everywhere ebooks are sold. And if you haven't started the series yet, ladies and gentlemen, go to Amazon, go to Kindle, and you can get Dog Gone, which is the first in the series, for free. That's by Diane Moat, Dog Gone, Dog Bones, and there's a third, second one in between there. J. Traveler Pelton, also an author that has been on the show, has released not one but two books. Kai Dante Strategium. People are so happy about the destruction of the anti-infertility virus that they want Kai to run for president. Kai Dante for president, indeed. The Oberlins are back and are successful in diverting the virus that is destroying the fertility of the populace, but in return, sanctuary is attacked and the family members are scattered to fight radiation sickness alone. Given only a strange poem to use, will Kai and her brother Micah figure out, how, figure out the puzzle before they all die? 
Who in the family will survive to destroy the tyrant running the Brotherhood? The second book that J. Traveler Pelton has released is called Clan Falconer's War. It is a fantasy set in the future medieval times after the Big War. Lucian thought that as the youngest son of the manor, his future would be a simple landowning farmer who raised good horses and went up to the manor to visit the family for holidays. After all, there were seven brothers older than he with much more entitlement to the inheritance. However, through a massacre and magic, his simple acceptance of a quiet life was going to come to a roaring end as he ends up leading the forces of his clan and the kingdom against an evil greater than any wizard had ever faced, an evil led by his own brothers. Will he, his clan, and Falcon Crest survive the war? That's Clan Falconer's War and Kai Dante's Strategium by J. Traveler uh, Pelton. Now, if you like audiobooks, ladies and gentlemen, there is a site you can go to and get free audiobooks, but there is a caveat. Looking for a listen? Adopt, don't shop for your next audiobook favorite. The Adopt an Audiobook program has new releases and audiobooks of every genre. All audiobooks are free to interested reviewers, and that is the caveat. You have to be willing to write a, to write a review for the audiobook when you're finished. Simply listen and share your thoughts. That's Audio Bookworm Promotions. Adopt an audio book. And with that, I want to welcome our guest tonight. He is new to the show, ladies and gentlemen, and he is just reading his bio makes me drool. His name is Andy Roush, and he is an American film journalist, an author, a screenwriter, film producer, and an actor. He is the author of several novels and novellas, including Elvis Presley, hence the song tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And Elvis is a CIA assassin. It's called Elvis Presley, CIA assassin. And we're going to talk in great length about that, because when I read the synopsis, it was just absolutely too funny. He also wrote the screenplay for Dama vs. Gacy and is the author of some 20 nonfiction books on popular culture. He also wrote a novella called Riding Shotgun and Other American Cruelties, which we will get into. But first, I want to welcome you, Andy. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Hey, thank you for uh, having the bad taste to have me on. Thank you so much. Seriously, I I appreciate it, and uh, it's a fun show, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, just join the, the, the ranks of those that become a part of this family because I definitely have to bring you back. There is no way in God's little green acre that we're going to get to talk about everything tonight that I want to talk about because there's just too much of you. <laughs> well, a lot of people think that. They, <laughs> that there's just too you, much of me. Uh, I have three divorces to prove it. Oh but, my uh, goodness! Well, that for... too. See, I'm I'm right up there with you. But wow. before we get started um, talking about books, let's talk about you. You are an amazing man. You have um, journalist, a film journalist, an author, a screenwriter, a film producer, actor. How did you get there? I wouldn't say I'm good at all those things, but I am all of those things. I, uh, but you know, I, I consider myself a writer first and foremost, and uh, and I, I do appreciate that. Um, how did I do that? I have no idea. I, 
was one of those people I think was too naive to know that I couldn't do those things. So I just went ahead and did them, you know, and, and there's still a lot of other things out there that I would like to do, you know, um, I guess that's the answer. It's not, not the greatest answer, but but it's the truthful answer. Well, all of these things that you've done, you're an American film journalist, of course an author, a screenwriter, film producer, actor. Were these things in your background as a child something that, that you wanted to do? Was it something that, that fell into your lap later on in life? Oh, you know, I always wanted I always wanted to be a writer. I didn't know what I would write particularly. Um, but I always wanted to be a writer and I had a teacher way back in the 5th grade who was amazing, you know, and she kept pushing me to be a writer. She's not here anymore, but she was a wonderful woman and you know, a, a lot of times people that are elementary school teachers think that, you know, they're going to be forgotten or you know, that when, a lot of times when people talk about, you know, the most influential teacher, it'll be high school teachers. But I'm here to tell you, you know, uh, or to be a reminder that those people can make a difference. And that woman definitely made a difference in my life. You know, I have, I have a lot of uh, gratitude to her. She was amazing. But well, anyway, not only I knew I was going to be a writer. I just didn't know what the hell I was going to write. <laughs> well, but not only did she push you, did she encourage you? Mm-hmm. Into writing, oh, but you've done things that most people dream about doing. To be able to be an American film journalist, for those that don't understand what that entails, explain that because that is a a craft within itself. Mm-hmm. You have to worry as a journalist through film. Well, I write um, for a lot of magazines, and um, you know, and I was a film critic for a little newspaper, and I've written. Probably, I don't know, close to 20 of my books have been about film, uh, you know, film history. I don't know. It was just something that for a long time has been uh, an interest of mine. I, You know, it's funny. I didn't really become somewhat of a film scholar until 1994. Uh, that is when Pulp Fiction came out. And I know that, you know, it's become popular to downplay Quentin Tarantino, blah, blah, blah. But that was the movie for me. During that two-hour running time, I woke up and I realized that film had the potential to be something really important. And, and yes, I'm a book writer, but it's, you know, that man's films influenced my books. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have even written about film if it hadn't been for him. So, you know, that, I will, that's another person that has had a huge impact on me. Um, but you know, and, and I even had a book that was, um, used as a textbook in a lot of collegiate film classes and I don't even have a degree, you know? Um, so that is very rare and I'm thankful for that. I'm not bragging about it. I'm kind of in shock, even though it was 20 years ago. Um, I don't know. I've been very lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, I'd like to think there's some talent there, but a lot of it's always luck and, for me, definitely, it is. A lot of it has been luck. Well, in doing my deep dive on you, you brought you just brought up Quentin Tarantino, but you also uh, Elmore Leonard had a um, positive effect on you, and I think that is a 
Paragon because you've got Leonard, Elmore Leonard on one side. You've got Quentin Tarantino on the other. Now, ladies and gentlemen, any of you all who've never seen one of his Quentin Tarantino's films, this man takes you right to the edge of the precipice and sometimes shoves you over. The one that comes to mind was the the last one I saw was Glorious Bastards. I watched that film and I could not turn away from it. And I'm going, this has got to stop. <laughs> but it was <laughs> the man is yeah, insane. I... <laughs> well, you know, he's definitely encouraged me through his work to try to go a step further at times and to try to really push those boundaries. You know, and there are things about his work that make some people mad, and I get that. You know, um, a lot of times the N-word pops up in his movies. He's uh-huh. not an advocate of the, of the word, but, you know, I, and it does pop up in my work too. But, you know, the thing is people mistake uh, the, the, the arts for, you know, if you depict something, uh, you're advocating it, and that's not the case. You know, I always tell people, if every character I wrote was just like me, it'd be really boring. You know, and, and I write about bad guys uh, most of the time. And, you know, um, and you know, like I had one book where the protagonist was an African-American. He's a black guy. But he was working in the mob and in that milieu, you know, surrounded by all of these hardened mobsters, these Italian men. He's not well-liked in that word is used but again he's my protagonist i don't and and tarantino does that same thing that was one of the things that really appealed to me about his work is that he was one of the first people i ever saw to present a crime world that was sort of an integrated crime world you know um where there are black hitmen and there are you know there were some black exploitation movies in the 1970s that featured those kinds of characters but i mean you know something that's semi-realistic that has never really been done and uh you know it was the same kind of world as goodfellas i mean obviously you know you can't really insert a lot of african-american characters into goodfellas because there's a true story but i'm just saying in that world we weren't used to seeing those kind of characters and and i really appreciated that and that was one of the positive effects that his work had and it's funny you know you mentioned elmore leonard also having an impact I came to Elmore Leonard through Tarantino because his work is very much influenced by Elmore Leonard. And uh, so I guess it's kind of a natural thing. You know, if you're going to be influenced by one, you would end up being influenced by both. But, you know, I, I think they're both fascinating. And and their dialogue appeals to me a lot. Or yeah. just the grittiness, you know, the, those gritty worlds. Um, you know, like you mentioned Inglorious Bastards. I love that. And I love the Westerns. But for me, it's, you know, it's the crime films. And that's always been the thing that's resonated with me is crime writing, films, crime. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be a criminal. Well, I don't realistically want to be a criminal. I think that idea appeals to everybody, you know, living in that world. But, you know, obviously there are reasons not to do that. And <laughs> so it's it's more fun to read about them and to write about them and, well, and, you know uh, that's, so that, my, that's, that's my that's my area of expertise too. I I write true crime plus I write crime fiction because right. that's my background. So I I, I truly get where you're coming from. Right. 
That's always been the – you know, and the stuff that appeals to me mostly has always been the stuff about the bad guys. You know, like that was what Elmore Leonard did really well. And to me, although I didn't know it at the time, uh, you know, that was what made his work stand out to me from a lot of other writers. Because most writers write about cops and detectives, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a great, a great um, part of that genre. But that was not the part that really appealed to me as a storyteller. You know, it's, I was always the guy that, like, if I watched wrestling or watched a movie or something, I kind of rooted for the bad guy. I don't root for the bad guy in real life, but it's fun in the movies. And, you know, most of the time, the bad guy is kind of the most fascinating character in, the, in those movies, in those books. And, and um, so I don't know, that kind of always appealed to me. Maybe I'm demented. Maybe I'm sick. But that's where I'm coming <laughs> we, from on that. Andy, we all are slightly demented to be authors. You think about <laughs> it. We all have to be, because the voices in our head are demented. <laughs> right. Right. Now, let me ask you something. Before, before, well, before I ask you that question, I want to take a quick break, pay some bills, okay. because before we went live, you and I were talking about something that's very close to both of our hearts, and I want to get that in before we run out of time, okay. and this hour will go by so fast. So let's take this quick right. break, ladies and gentlemen. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, author Andy Roush, and we're already having a blast. We will be right back. Best-selling and award-winning author of true crime and crime fiction, Yvonne Mason is back with a brand-new book, The Pink Canary, a book that delves into the life of a drag queen and a marvelous whodunit. You can find this and all of Yvonne's other works on Amazon.com or find Yvonne Mason on Facebook and Twitter. You're going to kill me. Buy your copy of Pink Canary now. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Our horse is your new best friend. Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. Germany, 1938. Charlotte, a young girl of 15, wanders into Georg's cobbler's shop to have her shoes repaired. Georg, enamored by Charlotte's charm and grace, decides then and there that he's going to marry her. But they must keep their love a secret from family, friends, and, most importantly, the Nazis. Follow along as Georg's pursuit of the young Charlotte results in the couple traveling a heart-stopping, winding route to stay one step ahead of the Gestapo in their escape from Nazi Germany, with a surprising twist along the way. If you like history and romance, don't miss Good Things Always Happen in Springtime by Joanne Fisher, available at www.joannesbooks.com. Juliana is a middle-aged housewife in Toronto with a career, 
a husband that has little interest in her well-being, and three children. In the evenings, she gets on her computer and chats with people around the world. When she gets involved with Aaron and Bobby, her life becomes a pinball, bouncing around her husband, her job, her children, and her two online friends. She's bewitched by the romantic poetry of Aaron, but the honesty and kindness of Bobby bring her all the way to California. Watch for the ironic twist of fate that takes her in a direction she never expected. If you like spicy romances, don't miss With All of Me by Joanne Fisher, available at www.joannesbooks.com. Fiore is a young Italian woman engaged to be married, but her plans are interrupted by a charismatic Sebastian, a handsome middle-aged Spanish businessman. Her beauty strikes him like a thunderbolt sent by the goddess Venus herself. When she's given a peculiar gift, a Spanish doll, she's thrown into a whirlwind of entangled passion, money, secrets, and love. Their romance sparks in a charming little Italian town located on the southern part of Lake Garda in northern Italy and takes them around the globe. What happens when her life is suddenly shattered by a lifelong secret? Her Spanish doll will bring you to a caliente Spain and a romantic Italy, adding some spice along the way. Available at www.joannesbooks.com. This is Jade. And this is Winona. Wow, it's been a busy summer. Yes, we have new books. I think we have a new audio book. And I thought Divorce Was Bad with Other Life Lessons. Why is that title such a mouthful? I don't know, but you can hear that mouthful on Audible and on iTunes now. And that will take you through Life Changes, the highs and lows of it through pop poetry and the literary life guide. So remember to check us out. And no, I don't mean a once over, but then my narcissism said, well, maybe check me out once. And then look at the rest of the website at andrethought.com. You can check out the podcast and the YouTube channel and everything that we're doing on that website, andwethought.com, just in case you didn't get it the first time. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to say bye from Winona and Jade and our website. Okay, is this going to be like a running gag? Yup. Andwethought.com. Bye-bye. And we are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, author Andy Roush. And before the break, I said that when we came back, we were going to talk about something that's both near and dear to both of our hearts before we really get into talking about Andy's books. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a heart stopper. So what Andy told me before we went live was that five months ago, he received something. Andy, what did you receive, and why was it so important that you become a, an advocate for this? Um, well, I was diagnosed with heart disease when I was 21 years old. I'm 45 now. Um, we always knew I was going to need a heart transplant, and they told me I needed it when I was 21, but I kind of did better for a long period of time, and so anyway, uh, eventually, a few years ago, I started getting really sick. So the short and the long of it is uh, I got a heart transplant this last, uh, about, uh, what, five and a half months ago. And um, 
you know, and obviously it's changed my life and it's given me more time with my children. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been a blessing in every single way. And so really quick, while, I, while you've got me here, you know, I do want to take the opportunity to tell people how important it is to become an organ donor. You know, it's just a little mark that you put on your driver's license, at least if you're here in the United States. I don't know how it works in other countries, but here it's just something they ask you when you get your driver's license. Do you want to be a heart donor? You know, do you want to be an organ donor? Yes or no? I don't understand why people say no, but I would like to encourage you to say yes. And the reason for that is, is because you cannot take those organs with you. You will be dead at the time when they take the organs. You won't be there. And so they do you absolutely no good. It is a waste of organs that can save lives. And as uh, Yvonne and I talked a little while ago about, one person's body can donate like 75 different things to different people. You know, and so in a way, you live on. And, and you also help other people. And as I always told my children, you know, it is a gift that you will give other people, but it is the last gift that you will ever give anybody in this life. I think it's an amazing thing, um, obviously, because it saved my life. But I think a lot of people, you know, they don't think about it because they don't really know people that have had a heart transplant or a kidney transplant or, you know, it's not something they have to deal with. And, you know, but I, I am proof that it really is a lifesaver. So, you know, um, I don't really know what else to say about it, but, but it's been amazing. It's been fantastic. And and before we went live, I made the statement that you now are part of a family that you don't know yet. You just haven't met them yet. You have family right. out there that that you are connected with because now you carry part of their DNA in your body. Right. And I, I got to tell you, it's insanely surreal to realize that someone else's heart is in my body and keeping me alive and, I'm eternally thankful, obviously, but it's hard to comprehend even when it's you, you know. Um, I don't ever want to take that for granted. Uh, You know, some people I knew encouraged me to kind of do some detective work uh, and try to, you know, by looking through the paper there in St. Louis where I had my transplant, try to get an idea maybe of, of whose heart it was. But, you know, I just... I didn't know if I could handle that at the time, and I just want to wait. You know, you have to wait about two years to find out, uh, maybe. And that, that gives uh, you or, or time. To contact. That, right. Well, that gives you time to grieve for that family, and it gives that family time to grieve and heal and mm-hmm. start moving forward. And it's a period right. of adjustment for, for both sides because while you're thankful that you have a second chance in life, you're also grieving because someone, right. a greater love hath no man than to give up a life for a friend, but and someone lost their life so you could have yours. And to me, That's that true. is the ultimate love. It really is. And, you know, and, and like a lot of people that get transplants, I, I do go through periods where I feel immensely guilty about it. But as somebody reminded me recently, you know, that person, their time was up. They were going to die either way. Um, I'm very, so they didn't, you know, like it, they didn't on purpose die for me. And, but I'm incredibly thankful for their heart. I'm sad that they died, but I'm incredibly thankful that they gave me a chance to live. And 
and they live you know, on a uh, They do. They do. So, ladies so, and gentlemen, yeah, what, what Andy and I both are saying, because all of y'all know about my granddaughter and the fact that we lost her three years ago at, at 13, and her heart went into a 12-year-old girl who was literally at death's door. I don't know what this little girl's future is. I know that her thread was not cut and that she's still here for a reason, and I know there was a bigger plan. Um the baby's other organs went to other people. So I have family that I've never met. I have a granddaughter now that I've never met. And that's okay. That is okay. Because there is a bigger plan. And when we keep that faith and we understand that God has a bigger plan and he knows down the road, we don't. And, Andy, there's something that you still got to do, my friend. But I I uh, I believe that I do believe that I, but I, the main thing I want to do is you know three of my kids are grown. Um, I've got a stepson that is about grown, but I've still got a little girl that's eight years old, and I want to see her grow, and and I want to be there when all of them get married, and you know I, I want to see as much of their lives as I can. And, uh, and, so and that's there, the there is thing. a there's a reason that that. For lack of a better word at this point, the stars collided in the right way, and you were you were blessed with this gift of life, and never, ever, ever feel guilty for that, because you do a disservice, and, and you right. mar the memory of the person who gave their life so that you could live. I know it's called survivor's guilt, but understand, it was the way it was supposed to happen. Right. Yeah, I see, ladies, see, ladies and gentlemen, you never know on this show what you – this is why we don't do the show, because you don't ever know what we're going to talk about. And this was not even on my radar. Andy brought it up, right. and God loved him for it, because it was a perfect opportunity. Now, back to you <laughs> and the, the the beautiful things that you write. Now, well, I don't know if they're beautiful, but I, I mean, I, uh, I like them, and I know a lot of people that like them. I, I don't know if I would call them beautiful, but um, it's artwork. It's beautiful but, uh, in their way. In their art, way, it's art. We, we have right, to look right. at art with an open mind. It's artwork. It's beautiful. Right. <laughs> right. Now, uh, you know, and it's funny when I was in the hospital, there were two things I was most looking forward to: was getting out and seeing my children, and because I was six hours away, you know, and um, I, I was looking forward to getting out and seeing my children and writing. And I would sit in the hospital and all I could think about, you know, and people were like, do you want us to bring your laptop? And I was like, no, because uh, for some reason it just didn't feel right in the hospital. And I didn't know at the time I shook so bad that there was no way. So when I first came home, it was from the prednisone, you know, that the, they put you on. But I was right. shaking so bad I couldn't write. And eventually that went away, and I'm so thankful for that. But <laughs> it's been great. It's been a good ride. But, uh, well, so I'm going to tell you. Something you wanted to ask about the, about the writing, and I, I get off track. I'm really good at that. That's quite all right. But I want to bring this up because it just caught my eye. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we were talking about Elmore Leonard and Quentin Tarantino, two opposite polar, polar opposites. I can't talk tonight. A week of lack of sleep will do that. But anyway. 
Andy wrote a novella called Riding Shotgun and Other American Cruelties, and it's a collection well, it's of a collection of novellas. Yeah, of quirky Tarantino quit. Okay, you're going to have to pronounce that word. I've never <laughs> a Tarantino esque, which means yeah, they're yeah. like crime, crime novellas. And the first story, Easy Peasy, a band of elderly Old West bank robbers return to their wicked ways in the 1930s Don Dillinger era. The second story, Riding Shotgun, is a bitter tale about a man forced to take up arms to protect those he loves. The third, Skrilla, is an urban crime fantasy in which a fledging hip-hop group kidnaps a record mogul in the hopes of making the kind of loop they dreamed of. Now, I bring all that up to say this. This, what I'm fixing to tell you, is such a marvelous thing and such an honor. Remember the name Elmore Leonard. This person wrote a review... And he is the son of Elmore Leonard. His name is Peter Leonard. And he says, Andy Roush has written a tight, taut crime thriller that will have you on the edge of your seat. I can see my father's novelist Elmore Leonard influence in his prose. What an honor. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. And and another one, um, uh, another novella in the book. Um, the quote isn't on there, but I've gotten uh, praise from another writer, a screenwriter, who had co-written with Paul Schrader um, a movie called Rolling Thunder in the 1970s, and which I consider the greatest revenge movie ever. So when I wrote the actual novella in it called um, Riding Shotgun, it's a, a revenge story, and it was very much influenced by that. Well, anyway, this this uh, writer, um, God, all of a sudden I'm forgetting his name now. Um, oh, Haywood Gould. Uh, he praised praised the piece, which those were amazing uh, endorsements, I guess, you know, and. You you can't ask for better than that. No, you can't. That and and Peter Leonard, ladies and gentlemen, right wrote a book called Voices of the Dead. By the way, now there is a book that you wrote that is the reason that I played the Elvis song "Don't Be Cruel." And before we went live, you said that this cute little book, which is absolutely when I read the synopsis, the the movie in my head just started going off. Did not get the um, the press or the feedback or the reads that it should have. So this is your time to shine to talk about this book, the who, what, when, where, and how, and what in the world possessed you to write it. And I've got to get it just to read it because it's, it's, the synopsis is just fall down funny. The title of the book, ladies and gentlemen, is called Elvis Presley. CIA assassin. Now, just think about that for a minute. That's what we know from Elvis, and he becomes a CIA assassin. Okay, roll with this. Tell me all the dirt on this <laughs> Okay, well, it's a little more well-known now that um, Elvis met with Richard Nixon in the 1970s, 
and wanted to be some sort of um, federal. He wanted to be a federal agent. He wanted to be an FBI agent, which is ridiculous because everyone would know who he was. And he wanted to go undercover. And, you know, there wasn't a person in the world who didn't know who the hell Elvis Presley was. And but but that made me laugh. And there's been a movie made about that idea since. Or not that idea, but about him meet that their meeting. Well, anyway, I had found out about that meeting, and I got to thinking, and I just had this crazy idea. Wouldn't it be really crazy if Nixon said sure, you know? And they end up making him a CIA assassin, and he fakes his death and becomes this assassin. Well, anyway, then when I was working on it, I found out that um, Quentin Tarantino once had an idea um, for. To make a movie, uh, it was before he was famous, but he had had an idea about uh, what if Elvis became an FBI agent and, um, or a secret agent. And, and I thought, well, I, apparently I'm on the right track, you know, the same type of thing, because here my writing idol had a similar idea, you know. And so I kind of felt like that was, was kismet, and, and I ran with it. And, you know, I the people that have read it have told me they think it's very funny, and I'm flattered. I do think it's funny, but I, I wrote it. What the hell do I know? But, um, <laughs> you know, but the thing, I will say this. It's, I don't take credit for a lot. I'm fairly humble. But um, I think that book does something that had not been done before. It is told as an oral history, which is through quotations of supposed interviews. Now, um, Max Brooks's book, World War Z, was supposed to be an oral history, but it's really not. Like, it's not told the way that uh, nonfiction oral histories are told. And so as far as I know, my book was the first fiction book to use this technique. And so it's sort of like uh, it's the equivalent, the literary equivalent of a documentary. So it's kind of a mockumentary um, telling this as if, as if it's a true story. And what's funny is one time on a, I had posted about it on an Elvis Presley fan site, uh, well, a Facebook page. And I actually had somebody get angry with me on the Facebook page. Uh, they said, um, I don't believe this is a true story at all. Like, uh, this is not true. This is made up. To, and I thought, well, it's a novel, lady. Like, that's, yes, it's not true. It's not true at all. Look at the title. Who would possibly think that was a real thing? But, um, you know, but it was a blast to write. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I We did sell the movie rights at one point, uh, but the movie, and I even wrote a script for it. I got paid, which was cool, but it never got made. I'd still like to see but that. But who's to say someday. that it won't at some juncture? Right. That would be okay. Yeah, but, but you know what was funny? It's kind of vulgar, and that turns some people off as far as – but what was funny was I was reading – I read a bunch of uh, books on Elvis at the time, and there was one that was uh, that had interviewed a lot of his friends and, and people that were close to him. And it, it, there's, there's one particular curse word I, – I won't really go into it, but there's one particular curse word that he used. They said it was his favorite word. So uh, – so that appears in the book, and people are like, well, I can't believe you have Elvis talk this way. But there were, you know, in this book that I read, there were like 10 different people talking about, oh, he loved that word. He's had it all the time. And so it's used in kind of a a silly way, but, um, you know, it's not the wholesome 
image of Elvis that <laughs> it's not that I don't know kissing cousins or uh, it happened at the World's Fair Elvis. You know, it's probably a little closer to what Elvis was really like, and you know, not a bad guy in any way. He just he was just a, human. probably a more realistic person. Yeah, a human. Yeah. And and this is what people, sadly, what happens when people take celebrities and, and artists and, and put them way up there on that tall, tall pedestal because right. they're only men and women, and they do have feet of clay, and, and they do have they are flawed, and, and they do have human failings. But nonetheless, they have artistic abilities that are worthy of us listening to and reading. But we have these misconceptions that they're bigger than life. No, right. sadly, they're right. not. And then when, when something happens, we go, but how could that happen? He had everything. Apparently right. not. He didn't have his own peace. <laughs> right. I don't think he had peace. But you know what was funny was when I was reading these, well, not funny, but interesting. When I was reading these books, and I was an Elvis fan since I was a little kid. I mean, he died when I was four years old, so that will tell you, you know, well, I guess I already said I'm 45, but, um, you know, but I was an Elvis fan ever since I was a little kid. Like, my first record was an Elvis record. It was Burning Love, and it was, like, I think on clearance for five bucks at Walmart, whatever. But, uh, you know, but I was reading through these books, and I never knew this, but I was reading through these books, and I started getting kind of a clear idea that, as great as Elvis was as an artist or, you know, musician or whatever, uh, I caught the feeling that he wasn't really a super intelligent person, which, uh, so there's a little bit, I tried to kind of capture some of that in the book. So he bumbles a little bit and that, that was kind of something that irritated some of the fans, but, you know, but then people that, that were into the spirit of the book had a blast, you know, so it's, you can't go into it just, holding these things too sacred you know i guess that's no. it you can't and and it wouldn't make perfectly logical sense not that he was a stupid man because he wasn't right but i don't he, think he was stupid i just think he, he was didn't he have the opportunity he the FBI. right well, but like he didn't have the opportunity he could be an undercover fbi guy is kind of telling that maybe his perceptions were a little off you know a little. Because there's just, just, just no way that could have worked. But. And and when one thinks about where he grew up and, and the, the times, right. he grew up post-World War II. He also grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, which right. Mississippi is the most economically and educationally depressed state of the entire Union. Especially right. at that time, and right. and people fail to see that it's 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 not a disservice to say that he was not that intellectual. That's the word I'm looking for. He was not that. He was right. highly intelligent, but not that intellectual, and not intellectual enough to use his the intelligence that he had to find the peace and be a better right. businessman than he was. Well, and, you know, here's a guy that went from absolute poverty to exactly having millions of dollars almost overnight. And, you know, so he bought these lavish, gaudy pink things and huge things. And, and who can blame him? He was a man that grew up with just dirt poor, honestly. And all of a sudden he had the money. 
to buy his mama a car and a house and, you know, to do all of these things. And, you know, I think he's fascinating. I do think he's he's just fascinating. And he, he was. And my children, you're talking about you, you were four years old. I'm 67. My oldest son is 46, soon to be 47. I have a daughter 40 right. and another daughter in her 30s. All three of my children were taught Elvis from the day I brought him home from the hospital. Right. So they all grew up loving Elvis. Well, that's the thing is, like, you know, I don't think the knocks on the book were fair. Then there were only a couple. But, you know, like, you're a writer. You know. You, know, you can get yes. 50 great reviews, but the one or two bad ones, they're the ones that you're most likely to remember, sadly. and Or at least I am because I'm, I'm frail like a lot of people. And uh, But, you know, the thing is, is that it was a book that was written by somebody who absolutely loved Elvis Presley. And, and uh, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to, in some ways, poke fun. I wasn't mocking him in any way, but poking a little bit of fun at, at some of it at the times. And, um, you know, the opinions that a, a person that went from absolute poverty growing up in the South in that time might have had. Uh, you know, it, it, the book is what it is. I think it's a blast, and, and I've had a lot probably of people say that. He probably would have been the first one to say, "Oh, I love it. This is exactly right. what I would have liked to have done." And he would have he would have enjoyed it. And and what we as humans do is we don't read with an open mind. We don't watch film with an open mind. We don't look at art with an open mind. We don't right. have discourse with an open mind and we cheat ourselves so badly because we have these preconceived notions about everything and we don't learn anything when we have preconceived notions right that's absolutely true and you know and i want to stress again like we talked about earlier i think i don't think there should really be any boundaries in art other than well i don't know i don't know what those boundaries are i mean somebody I, i interviewed s craig zoller a while back who um wrote and directed Bone Tomahawk and um, a great movie a year ago called uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. And he has a movie with Mel Gibson coming out soon called Dragged Across Concrete. And anyway, you know, he was talking about that, you know, like what should the limits be? Maybe actually killing people on screen? Yeah, that's a limit. But, you know, as far as what things are permissible, because we're, we're in an era now where people, there's a lot of discussion about what should be permissible to depict and I really feel like if you're if it happens in real life, I think it's fair game because again Amen. you're not endorsing things when you say, you know that that's like saying, you know, for somebody to say like Quentin Tarantino because a character uses the N word in his book or in his movie that he is a racist and he can condemns that or condones that would be like saying George Lucas thinks it's okay to blow up an entire planet of people because. They blew up a planet in Star Wars. Obviously, that is not true. I don't know George Lucas. He may have major flaws. I don't know. But I bet, you know, genocide is probably not one of them. You know, but people get so serious about some of this stuff. And, yeah, there are some responsibilities to art. You know, but, I mean, I think if you are actually out and out endorsing something that is awful, sure. But if you're just depicting it, I think that's real life. I just think that's and, real and we also have to understand that in the context of a story and in the context of 
the time and the place and the era right. that that verbiage is 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 um natural as breathing if you put something else right. in there it convolutes the story and it makes it seem forced and not real i don't want yeah that's right i i want whatever i'm writing and the n word is not the only thing i mean i hate that word i think it's a gross word i think it's awful but i'm going to guess that say you know you talk about communities and places and times where that was i'm going to guess that in Tupelo, mississippi in yep. 1950 that that was a oh, heavily absolutely. used word. It may be a heavily used word there today. I don't know. But I'm saying that, you know, as you said, there are places where all kinds of things happen and are said. And to ignore that is doing a disservice to your reader. It does a disservice to you because it ties your hands. I feel like, you know, it, it's not our place to dictate what goes on in the world. It's our place as writers to to accurately show what goes on in the world. And, and if, uh, if, you know, people, if people choose not to read it because they are quote-unquote offended, shame on them because they could learn so, so much. Well, you know, it's it's like the um, writer I was telling you about, Craig Zoller, like he's got this movie coming out, and I know a lot of it, you know, the flack is because Mel Gibson's in it. I, I get it. But... Uh, you know, he's got a movie about bad cops, and they do bad cop things in the movie, this movie that's coming out. Well, you know, there were – a lot of the reviews are fantastic, but then there are other reviews that seem to kind of have an agenda, you know, that, that say that this is praising bad police. It's praising, you know, these bad things oh, that cops please. do or whatever. And, and you know what? Like, look, again, it's all about context. I think those things are terrible, too. But, I mean, if you're going to say that just depicting that, look, lethal weapon, bad things happen. And, you know, cops do bad things. And lethal weapon or L.A. Confidential, which is a beautifully told movie. I, I never got the of, feeling that they the, were um, These guys are, yeah. You know, those are some just of the, things that happen. Some of the movies out there that, quote, unquote, glorify gang wars. Right. Where's the outrage? It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it's crazy because we're all complex human beings. And, you know, I've found myself guilty of some of this stuff before of being outraged by this or outraged by that. But as a writer, it's always been very clear to me that, you know, it's, there's a time and a place for everything. And again, I think context is everything. I really do. I think, you know, if you just say somebody got raped in this book uh, and nobody has gotten raped in any of my books, was not to say it will never happen. I won't depict it graphically because I think it's gross, but, but it is a thing that happens in the world. I think it's awful. I definitely don't endorse that. But to say that that could never happen in a book, I don't think that's – I just don't think that's right. I don't think I think that, I think anything under the sun that happens in this real world can appear in a book. But again, it's about with, context. And with that, our hour is almost up. <laughs> I told you it would well, go by fast. Will Will you it come did go back? Fast. I would love to. Great! I, I want I to bring to. you I back. 
because we 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 did, I told you we wouldn't cover half of what I wanted to cover, and and we need to delve into this even more. I think this is important. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Andy has said he will come back. I'll bring him back after the first of the year because I'm not done talking to him yet. <laughs> so Andy, <laughs> tell the folks tell the folks where you can be found and where your beautiful beautiful books can be found. Amazon is always the best place. That's what I tell everybody. Um, I. Somebody asked me the other day, are all your books self-published? They are not. None of my books are self-published, actually. But there's nothing wrong with that. But they're just – people think, you know, oh, Amazon must be self-published. It's not the case. Uh, but I would tell people that's kind of your one-stop shopping. I mean, I publish with about 15 different publishers. But, you know, you can find them all on Amazon. Uh, my well, I got is written under Andrew J. Roush, and my fiction is under Andy Roush. Um, Traditional publishers are published or bought on Amazon. That's where I get all my husband's books, Elmore <laughs> Leonard, and right. et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. So they but need to get over this, themselves. But, you know, I used to think it was. I will say this: I used to think it was cheating to self-publish your book, but you know what? That stigma is gone. There, I, I've read some yes. books of self-published that are amazing. You know, Absolutely. I just right. Do me a favor. And Don't hang up for the show. Big publishers that suck. <laughs> exactly. Don't hang up when the show right. goes dark. And things I want to tell you, but thank you okay. so 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 much for spending thank an you. hour with me. I I appreciate it. And um, yes, he is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Author Andy Roush or Andrew J. Roush, and the last name is spelled R A U S H. Now you all know yes, that. <laughs> yeah, R A U S C H. I'm sorry. See, I'm brain stupid now. R-A-U-S-C-H. Tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, join us when we have Bill Protzman on here. This is going to be an interesting conversation. I can't wait. So join us and see what that's all about. And y'all know that there are several things I say at the end of every show because they're very important to me. And one is people will forget your name. They will forget what you look like. They will even forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you have made them feel we're all on a journey ladies and gentlemen and sometimes that journey is rather rough so when you're out and about and you see someone that is being less than kind or you think they're being less than kind smile at them find something nice to say about them because you may have saved a life that day also if you want to achieve greatness please stop asking permission because nobody's going to give it to you you're great already you don't have to ask permission just go out and, and do whatever it is you want to do. Teach your children that they are already great, that they are our future, and whatever they want to do, they can. Encourage them. Don't demean them because they are important. And once we lose a child, ladies and gentlemen, never able to get that thread back. Once that child is gone, anything that child would have been is gone with them. So encourage your children, love your children, Teach by example. Be great. Be unique. Be you. Do you. They will learn from you. Encourage them. Let them know that they have something to offer. And with that being said, I want to once again thank my guest, author Andy Roush. Check his books out. Join us again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time with our guest, Bill Protzman. Hear it off the chain, and we never, ever, ever know what's going to be talked about 
or for how long. And with that, this is your host, Yvonne Mason, and I am saying good night. Hello? Okay. We are... We are oh. now off the air. That's what I was waiting on to count down. But what I wanted to tell you is when we get off of here and the show goes up into the archive part of the the thing, I will uh-huh. post the link on my page. I will tag you in it. And my gift to you, my friend, is you take that link and put it everywhere. Also, tomorrow, okay. this show goes up on Stitcher and Spreaker and SoundCloud and Podcast.com, Podcast Garden, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, ReverbNation, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, and I think there's one. It goes up on two different shows on iHeartRadio. When, <coughs> excuse me, when I put the shows up on the podcast, I will put the link on my page and tag you in it. Take okay. all those links and just run with them. Okay. Definitely. Because you're going to be heard in over 200 countries. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being so patient and for coming on. And, wow, what an hour. You know, I forgot to mention that I I, I should have mentioned, but I have an anthology coming out that um, I co-edited, uh, and it's got a lot of big writers in it. It's got, uh, like, Joe Lansdale, and, um, whom I love, favorite writers. Max Allen Collins is one of my favorite writers, and he's in it, and uh, Richard Chismar, who just wrote uh, Gwendy's Button Box with Stephen King and all kinds of big writers. So that's a really cool book. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit next time. But Yes, when is it coming out? They're wanting to put it out around Christmas. Uh, I haven't turned it in yet, so but um, <laughs> it's going really well. But it's funny because I ended up with – we ended up with a lot of people that have actually collaborated with Stephen King, which is interesting. Um, I'm a big Stephen King fan, which is part of the reason, but, um, but like there was Richard Chismar, uh, Stuart O'Nan has written a novella and a, or, and a nonfiction book with Stephen King. And then there was, uh, a guy named Bev Vincent who, uh, just co-edited a book with Stephen King like a month ago. So kind of interesting. Ooh, yes. Yeah. We will have to talk about this. in the right direction though. Yeah. And and the thing is, what we're talking about now will show up in the uh-huh. archive part of the show. When people listen to the archives, this conversation will show up. So they're going to get a teaser about what we're going to talk about when I bring you back on the oh, show. Okay. See, oh, okay. see how that works out? Right. Good deal. So what I will do is I will send – do you want me to send the dates to you or send them to Henry? Uh, either way is good. That, that's okay. fine. Uh, or both. Probably both. Okay. If I've got an open date in January, I'll send it to you. I think I might have one or two open dates. That'll be right after Christmas, but that will still get that that rush of shoppers that's still out there, and it'll be a brand-new book. Okay. So we, sometimes, it, to me, it's better to do it after the launch because people right. are looking right. for something sense. to read. Right. Well, I really appreciate it. I do, and um, this was a really – I've done a lot of the – a lot of podcasts and radio shows and stuff. This was this was a fun one. This was really fun. Thank and, you. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. 
Oh, thank you for spending an hour with me. And it's like I said, you never know what we're going to talk about on the show. That's why I don't do a scripted show. It's not all serious. And and we do a full circle because Johnny Carson taught me how to brand. And the brand is not what we do. The brand is us. Right. And when we brand ourselves and people know about us, then they're going to go get the product. That's cool. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do is I market oh. I market my guests. I don't market what they do. I market my guest. That's great. So, yes, now you well, are a regular on the show. That is great. Anytime you need anything, just let me know. I will, my darling. And as a regular on the show, um, you will get a following on the show. So that's why I want you to put oh, this show out everywhere that you go so that um, – or everywhere that you are, and let them know that you will be coming back because people will tune in on the night that you're on the show, and they'll tell people who will tell people, and that's how it works. Okay. Good, good. All right. Thank you, sweetheart, right, well, thank and I will you get so you a date, and, and we will we will make this happen. Thank you so, so much. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, hon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 